no matter what stage of your career that you are in, whether you're at the top at a CEO or you're aspiring and climbing that ladder, we all need a push, we all need some fire, and we all need a coach, and that's what we're talking about today. Welcome back to the Get Over It podcast. I am your host, Dr. Christopher Fasano. We are back with another episode and another great guest. But before we get into the interview, I just wanna remind you to subscribe to your favorite pod player to get all of our new episodes of the Get Over It podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to a podcast, you can find this show. Today, our guest is Sean Mahoney. He is the CEO and founder of the Mahoney Performance Institute. Sean, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Awesome, thank you for having me. All right, so Sean, for, let's start with MPI, the Mahoney Performance Institute. Tell us a little bit about the business, uh, what you do there. And then I want to get back a little bit. I want to go back in time and talk about the progression and how you got to this business and this business model. Sure. Uh, we call it MPI. Uh, and really what our focus is on three things. We focus on co with companies on their strategy. We focus on culture and we focus on leadership development. We actually started out probably 10 or 12 years ago doing leadership development programs. And it was from that, you know, I met a ton of CEOs over the years uh, that put people through our programs. And before I knew it, they basically said, hey, do you think you could help me in some other areas like strategy, like mm -hmm. culture? And so the way we look at it is that there's really three pieces or three areas that CEOs think about each and every day. Number one, do I have the right strategic direction? And so that's where we started to focus in on strategy. Number two, uh, do we have a culture that'll support that growth, right. uh, that growth strategy? And then lastly, do we have a team that can execute on that strategy? And so uh, it was really from that that I ended up building a built built a consulting practice. And you know, obviously, with everything that's happened with COVID, uh, now it's pushed us even in another direction, which is to say, okay, everyone wasn't doesn't want to do things face to face like they right. had always done yep. it. Now, now they want to do some, you know, is there a hybrid approach? Yeah. And so we've really developed a, and moved our model towards something we call the manager's marketplace. And that's really where we're heading and, you know, really trying to create a central place where, where leaders and managers can go to get the tools, the templates, the resources, mm -hmm. the access to training uh, that they need in order to be successful. So. Now, for people that aren't in this area that might be listening, we are in uh, Albany, New York, in the capital uh, capital region. Has your business, the brick and mortar, has your business always been up here for when since it started? You know, we've had uh, clients here and there, you know, because my my career, you know, as, as we'll talk about, I think on some level, you know, has been outside of our region as well. So, you know, I had contacts in other regions. So, you know, we've had clients down into in, in Florida. We have had have client in Utah, a couple clients out in California. Um, and so, uh, you know, we've, I, I think I would say more recently, we've made a real push to get outside of our region. I sort of viewed the, the, the Albany region as being really a great laboratory for yes. us where I could work with a lot of people, a lot of CEOs and executive teams that I knew, um, really find out what their needs and their challenges were, and then start to build the tools and the templates that you need in mm -hmm. order to help them. You know, interesting, you know, and, and I want to get to the, to the progression, but it just brings up an interesting thing. A question to ask is, do you find that the locale, the location, the market um, of the business, ha you know, I, I imagine in, in a, when you're running a business, there are there are overlapping approaches and strategies. A lot of businesses, like you said, are going to have to focus on similar things, mm -hmm. but the, the places that they're in, the different, you know, locale, the geo, the market, it affects the strategy, I imagine, right? You know, when we market into things that there's always geo, yeah. but like the strategic uh, approach to a business, and now that you're able to have a sample size of businesses, not just in this area, 
does that really affect it? And obviously you have to take into consideration the strategic uh, plans. Uh, there's no question that geogra- you know, the, the geography uh, will have an impact on things. Um, you know, you find out that when you're working with companies out in California, particularly in the Silicon Valley area, they tend to be very progressive. They like to be on the progressive right. side of things. Right. Social um, issues, things like this. Yeah, it becomes, it becomes more important to them. You know, we have a, a big client that we've had for a number of years down in Florida that's in the insurance business. And, you know, hurricanes go there all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? And so as they're getting hit with hurricanes, they have to build a strategy around not just dealing with being in the insurance business, but in the, 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 geogra- uh, the geography that they serve. Mm-hmm. serve. So I think that's, you know, that's the challenges that you'll see in some of the businesses. Um, and then there are, are, are certain businesses, you know, if you, if you go to New York City uh, and you're in our business, you know, there's a lot of private equity firms there right. and private equity, um, you know, they have sort of a time frame that's, that becomes more important to them. So I, I would argue that some of the, you know, geographies just bring different challenges and, and probably different concentrations of industry mm-hmm. um, that I think really would, you know, maybe change strategy or strange, change the way they're building culture. I mean, uh, I know I've got a daughter out on the West Coast and, you know, the talent, I mean, we think that it's tough to find great right. talent here now. Yeah. It is a yeah. talent composi- uh, competition, yep. you yep. know, each and every day that someone ups the ante. And so, you know, the whole idea of culture and the whole idea of how do you attract talent is just at a premium out there. So I, I think that, you know, so, and that impacts more the culture side. And then, you know, if you're in a, in, you know, any of the really big high growth areas, um, you're gonna find, you know, CEOs coming to me or coming to us and saying, hey, listen, we've got people who last year were really good technicians and we need them to lead a team of 25 right. people now. Right, How right. do we get How them we up to that? speed quickly? And yep. so ramping people up very quickly uh, in fast growth companies um, is is another challenge altogether. And, and, and some of that'll be, you know, based on geography. It'll be based on, you know, are you in a real high growth market or are you in a slower growth market? So, so I think those are maybe some of the things that impact that. You know, culture and employees, and that is something that right now, a lot of, you know, since COVID and what's going on is a big, you know, getting the most out of the current team you have and how do you build a team and scale a team in the market that we have is a big, big topic of conversation. I know I want to talk about that, but before I do, um, I want to talk about how you got to where you are because I always like to focus on a journey. The destination is great, yeah. but the journey sometimes is better, right? Because that really puts a, a spotlight on the decisions you had to make. And we like to say like, what, are, what were your get over at moments where you made your left and your right? And yeah. I imagine as an, in a consulting business, I assume the expertise that you've acquired was from doing it yourself, being in the trenches right. and really trying to get in there. So tell me a little about the progression yeah. Of, of your career and sort of as the springboard to MPI. Yeah, sure. No, it's it's absolutely true. And you know, I, I often tell my daughter who, you know, she's she's now in her professional career. I have a son who's in a professional career. I've got two kids in college, so they're not too far removed. And, you know, and when they ask me, what did I really do right from the beginning that I would recommend to, 
you know, anyone their age is that I, I said, you know, over time, take on as much responsibility as you can, whether or not you get any, you know, pay increase. The pay will come if you accomplish things. Right. And if you accomplish great things, people will pay for it. And so worry less about pay and worry so about- So don't chase the money, right? No, take on responsibility right. because responsibility gives you the opportunity to accomplish things. And what people pay for is accomplishment. So that, that would be one lesson. I also uh, shared with them, and then I'll get to the progression, but- I, you know, I, I always share with them, you know, I always, what I basically did is I, I traded up in role and down in size of company okay. with the idea being that, you know, when you accomplish something at a certain level, now you go to a little bit smaller company. And when you go to that smaller right. company, they're willing to give you right. more responsibility Correct. in a bigger yes. role. And so at a very young age, I was able to really move up through the ranks and, you know, be the CEO of a business, you know, a good sized business at a relatively young age. So, uh, so I think that that was probably something that I benefited from most. But in terms of my career progression, I actually grew up in the area here. I went to school at Fordham University mm -hmm. down in New York City. Yep. I wanted to go to the biggest city in the world mm -hmm. and I wanted to be successful there. Uh, I took a job with now who is JP Morgan Chase. At the time it was Chase. And uh, I was in their corporate finance area and I had a great opportunity to travel around the world working on a, a project team. Uh, and, and So your finance background, that's where your education was in? Background, okay. Yeah, right. so finance background. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And then I ended up moving into the corporate finance area and I was working on deals. And I liked working on deals. They were, you know, it was exciting, it was thrilling, et cetera. But, um, but I, I knew something was missing. I wasn't sure what it was. Um, and then I got hired away by a company called Equifax. Okay. Uh, yep. If you don't know who Equifax yep. is, they know who you are. Yeah, exactly. okay? They've got financial information <laughs> on all great. of us. And I was able to work, you know, um, you know, in a couple of different roles there. One I really enjoyed was on the corporate development side, working on acquisitions, which was a logical for me coming, you know, moving yep. from, from Chase uh, and, and worked on acquisitions. And I was able to drive strategy there for them. So I got to work with the 34 different business units at the mm. time that they had and work on their various strategies. And some were in early stage. I mean, so if you think about a big company like that, some of them are gonna be very early stage, uh, almost like a startup, yep. a corporate sponsored startup. And some are gonna be in very mature businesses and you're actually looking at how do I harvest cash and maybe even sell it off over right. some period of time. So that gives you the breadth of, and, of, of like, you know, that allows you to use your a big toolbox for you to get in there. Absolutely. And, right? yeah. and so you're working with all these yeah. different organizations yep. and you're getting to know, hey, wow, you know, all things aren't created equal. Right. Equifax has a lot of pieces to it. So anyway, I learned from a lot of people there, but the most important thing that happened to me, uh, there were actually two things. My my dad died while I was there, which was hard. He, he died at a very young age, but at the same time, just like you always hope, someone else walks in your life. And there was a guy that there, uh, a guy by the name of Dan Cole, uh, who uh, really became a mentor of mine. And he said, you know, you're pretty good at this deal stuff, but I really think everything that we work on together relative to deals, you, you talk about culture, you talk about people, you're right. interested in that. I think you'd be good in general management. So I sort of put that on the back burner. Um, I got hired away to be the CFO of a public company down in Dallas. And that was really exciting for me. Did um, you move to Dallas? You I moved to Dallas, okay. I moved with my family, um, um, but it was a turnaround. 
And really what I learned from that, uh, that experience is turnarounds can be one of the most exciting, fast-paced learning experiences because not only are you in trouble, but you also have to find answers quickly. And Explain so, to the audience what a turnaround is if they're not really familiar with yeah, that Yeah, so what a, what a turnaround is, is typically you've got a company where their business model is what we call upside down. Financially, they're not performing. Generally, they're losing money. Um, but most importantly, they're probably burning cash. Okay. And most companies that when they're in a position where you're burning cash or your business model is not successful, it's really hard to raise additional capital. Right, right. So why you, am I going to throw more money? Why into am the I going to throw good, the you know, fire, good money right? after bad? Yep. So basically, what happens is in a turnaround is you have usually a defined time horizon and a limited amount of capital. It's not like you can say, "Hey, come work with us on this right. turnaround because I've got all this money I'm going to throw." You generally don't have a lot of that. So you've got to motivate people and you've got to say, "Hey, you know, we've got something that we're going to do here together that no one will ever take away from you." And what that is is that we're going to transform a business. We're going to turn it around. We're going to take it from not only where it is today to break even, but then we're going to grow it. Okay. Okay. So it's the ultimate challenge in my yes. mind in business. Okay. Now, is that considered a risk for you to take that position? Like, in other words, is that is that a standard thing? I don't want to use the word standard, but is it in a it's public? You said it's a public company. It's a no? public company. So you know, like you're gonna you're gonna jump in there and you're gonna try to write that ship. Yeah. Now, is there a time like you know like that seems like a risky endeavor? Is it or no? It's more. This is what happens. So I would argue that there's there's two sides of a turnaround. One, yes, it's risky, um, but you got to think about where I was coming from. I was coming from Equifax, and I was trading down in size and trading up in responsibility right, to be okay. the CFO. Right. So that's another so, example I see of that. What you're so, so, so while from, it was risky for your career, it might it wasn't. But, you know, but if it turned out correct. okay, right. then it was that's a, big a home deal. run. So right. it's a big risk, you know, right. high risk, high, high risk, return. High reward. Yep. But here's the other thing that I'll tell you about turnaround. So this is the f one of what I what were three turnarounds. I worked on, which was the basis for me gaining a lot of experience at a very young age and a real expedited timeframe, is that the other benefit of a turnaround, a lot of people think, oh, turnarounds are tough. They are tough for the reasons I just mentioned. One of the benefits is, is that everyone knows in the organization that things have to change. And so they're right. more amenable to right. change. They're more willing to change. Right. They've said, hey, listen, you know, um, really what it comes down to, are they gonna trust this team and they think they can be part of something special? Or is it that, you know what, I'm just taking career risk and, you know, we're all running for the hills, you know? And, and so to me, it's the ultimate leadership challenge because you've got to not only tell people that we'll be all right, but you've also, you're, you're going to tell people as to what we can create together and stick with me. And, uh, right, because you're coming into a situation where there are people that have been there and established. Right. And they're hopefully empowering you. You're coming in, this guy, and they have to be able to trust you and say, Okay, we're gonna go with it. I mean, I imagine that like in like in any leadership role, you have to feel empowered and you wanna get everyone behind you. Absolutely. And I gotta like you're saying in that situation they're hoping you can turn it around, yeah. right? It's not, they're not rooting against you, I imagine, right? No, they're, they're, they're on your side, right. number one, but the biggest thing that you gotta deal with is that they're scared. They're scared. The fear of the unknown. Right. It's not that makes like sense. it's not like, hey, we're up, up and away, and we're talking about how much we're going to grow right. next right, year. Right. We're talking about can Are we, we going to be around? Are we right. going to be around? And should I stick around for that? Knowing that if we are successful, it is something. You know, to me, turnarounds is it, it, it's the most rewarding thing because when you're successful at turning around a business, it's like your confidence soars. Right. It's like, hey, if I can get through that, I can get right, through anything. Exactly. Right. And so it does so much for your 
your career. It did so much for my career working on three successful turnarounds because, you know, really I sort of view it as, hey, no matter what you throw me into now, and that's why I went and started up my own right, business. Right. Like, I said, I can, I hey, can listen, handle that. I, I can do right, this. I right. mean, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I can do it. Right. And so your confidence, the difference between a new manager and someone like me, for example, after having been through several of those is that I have confidence. And so a lot of what we've built at MPI is the idea of what we want to do is we want to instill confidence in the leaders and the managers that we work with, whether it's a confidence in the developing their strategy, confidence in, in, in you know, improving and, and scaling their culture or, or confidence in terms of leading their team of people. And the only difference between them and me, people who have never really led people before is I've been through right. that. I've you been through it. these You're turnarounds confident. and I'm confident that we can figure it out. I'm telling you, there's nothing, there's nothing worse than a leader that you know is just non-confident in the situation because- And you know it. You know it. You and see I mean, it. Because if I'm gonna go to battle with someone, whether I'm gonna win or lose, that's always on the table. But if the guy or the, or the, the man or the woman who's leading us into that battle is, is confident and is reinforcing that and pushing that, I'm going in. Yeah. But if, it, if, it's, if it's uncertain or they're not, why am I going to go in and take that risk? It really does matter. Yeah. Forget about the outcome. Yeah. But when you're in the battle, it really does matter. And confidence means a lot. Yeah. So I left there and I went back to How long Atlanta. was that though? How long? That shot? was about two years. Okay. It was a turnaround. Then the company was sold to a large publicly traded company. They asked me to stay on as a regional controller. And I said, hey, I kind of like this yeah, executive leadership stuff. Yeah. You know, and I got a phone call from the guy that I mentioned before, uh, my mentor. And he said, hey, you were ready to work on another turnaround. And so I went to, uh, I moved back to Atlanta. My wife was very happy. We had young, uh, two young children at the time. And, uh, uh, and, and honestly, I learned one of the greatest lessons that I've learned about leadership working on this turnaround. So it was in the home care space. Um, they also, uh, at, you know, they were involved in hospice and, mm -hmm. and other home mm -hmm. care uh, therapies uh, spread all over the, the Southeast, publicly traded. And this company was exciting because the people were so passionate about what they mm. did each and every day. They mm. got up and they felt like we're doing good right. for the world, yep. you know, and, and I felt the yep. same way. And so, you know, when you're, you're getting ready to go through the turnaround and you're working through it, but what I really learned from Dan and what I learned in that instance is something that um, I'll never forget, which is the most important thing you do for your people is don't let them wonder. Okay, I learned that people will go through a turnaround with you. They'll go through tough times if they feel like you're being honest with them. If they feel like you're being transparent. Yeah. If they be. So my biggest thing is the biggest evil to a turnaround or frankly running any business is that if your people wonder, they're not focused on the good work that they need right. to do. They're not right. focused on trying to take their game to the next level, take the company's game to the next level. What they're really worried about is they're wondering. They're wondering, hey, is this gonna happen? And generally people, what I've found um, in, in tough situations is they think the worst. So when they wonder, they're actually thinking the worst. Why, why is Sean right. behind closed they doors? They tend not to he wonder must be about- selling the company. Right. They tend why? not to worry about the positive stuff that they, is going, right. They, they actually think the worst. And so right. I have really worked with leaders. I've worked with a lot of CEOs on saying the most important thing that you can do is not let your people wonder. 
And if you can do that, you're gonna, you know, you'll you'll earn their loyalty, you'll, you'll, you'll earn their trust. And honestly, even if you have to tell them bad news, like, you know what, we're gonna have another significant layoff, that's okay. They'll continue to ride with you right. as long as they know you're being transparent. Right, because they're not wondering about it. Now, is there a balance to that, Sean, where they're not so much under the hood that like, you know, you're involving them in things that they probably shouldn't be involved in? Like, how, how does that Oh balance? yeah, I think there's a big difference between not letting them wonder and telling them everything. Right. Uh, the, the reality is, is that, you know, and you've probably heard this many times over, is that a lot of people complain that, hey, you know, our company doesn't do a great job with communication. Mm -hmm. And really what it is, is that what they're thinking is, I really would love to know everything right. that the CEO knows. Right. I would so they, they all right. wanna know more. Right. But the, what you've got to ask yourself as a leader, as a manager, is you've got to ask yourself, am I doing, am I sharing with them information that's relevant to for them to be successful, for them to be able to make really good, confident decisions um, and, and put them in a position where they can lead their teams effectively as well. And if I'm doing that, then I'm, I'm doing okay. I don't have to meet their threshold of what great communication is. What I do need to do is make sure that they're not wondering about, you know, are we gonna be in business? wondering about whether we're headed in the right direction, wondering whether we're gonna win versus the competition, wondering whether right, right, I'm on the right. right, right. The, the X's and O's is not what they're involved yeah. in. Right, so, right. so I think there is a fine line, uh, Chris, to be honest. And I think that you can go overboard in terms sure. of sharing and you can spend a lot of time. But what we don't want people doing is, is being at the water cooler, you know, talking about and speculating about, well, what's Sean doing behind closed doors? Right. What's he right. doing? Is he, you know, is he, you know, is he, is he moving us in a different direction? No, I, I wanna be right up front, here's the good, here's the bad, and this is what we're doing about it. That's the most important thing is that people can deal with bad news if they know that you have a game plan and they're clear on what Correct. the game plan is for getting right. it, get it yeah. moving in the they're right direction. They're respected more too, they trust yeah. you. And I think that's yeah. really when you're gonna get the most out of them. Yeah. So down in Atlanta, you were there for how long then? I was there for six years. Okay. All right. So, um, so then that brought me back to upstate New York, which really brought me home. So okay. a lot of people don't know this about me, but I actually grew up in the capital region. Um, I always wanted to get back because as you start to grow and and uh, grow your young family, and I have four kids, is that you know you, you it's sort of there is always a pull back toward home. Now whether you move there or you just right. visit you there on a regular basis, you feel like you're connected. You're yeah, yeah, I wanted yeah. my kids to be around their yeah. cousins. I wanted my I wanted to be around my mom. You know, uh, I wanted to be around my cousins. You know, and I thought boy, this is a great time for us. So I, I ended up getting a phone call um, uh, from, a, from a guy who said, hey, listen, my brother's got a business. It's been growing considerably uh, very fast, um, but he feels like he needs adult leadership and he feels like there's a lot of change going on in the industry that's gonna all of a sudden hit. And sure enough, I, I literally, uh, so anyway, I started talking with him and uh, his name is Pat Maney and uh, he had a business called Nextridge and in, uh, up here, technology services business. And, um, you know, so he and I talked, uh, I came up, worked with him for about, I don't know, 48 hours and he offered me the job. And he said, would you like to be a CEO? So I'd been a CFO, COO, and now I had an opportunity to be a CEO. This is not pu a public company, but it brought me back home. Um, you know, at the time we had a lot of employees, you know, uh, 450, 500 mm. employees. We were growing on the Inc's fastest growing list, but really what was happening was, if you remember, this is back in 2001, mm -hmm. 2000, 2001, you had the dot-com mm -hmm. bust. Well, you also had the telecom bust and they were serving the, the telecom mm -hmm. sector. And so it was really tough 
Um, we had to go down to about 130 employees very quickly from about 700. I guess it was about 700 at the time down to 150. So there's nothing, any, anything worse than coming back to your hometown and having to, having to execute uh, yep. massive layoffs. Mm -hmm. But we got the company profitable. We started moving it in the right direction, started growing it again. Uh, company has grown significantly over the last, uh, you know, uh, 10 years or so. And so I really worked on a turnaround and it was a lot of fun to try to pull a young team together, get them all speaking the same language and say, hey, you know what, we can, we can get there. And that's when I learned another great lesson, which is there's a big difference between being a number one and a number two or a number mm. three, depending on how you view those other roles. Yep. When you're a number one, the buck stops with you yep. at the end of the day. And you feel that, right? You feel it, you feel the pressure, you yep. feel the, um, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the need to be able to protect the families Correct. because you start to get to know the families, right. not just right. the you know the, yeah. the the people that you work with, yeah. and you know that every layoff there's probably four or five other people that mm -hmm. are attached to that mm -hmm. layoff, and you feel the weight of the world. Um, and, and really what you have to do is you have to look out the other side and you have to say, okay, but that's not our goal longer term. Our goal longer term is to grow the business right. again and get it moving right. in the right direction and generate jobs and, and you know, create great stories with the, you know, the families and, and stuff like that. And, and that's what keeps you going mm -hmm. when you're involved in a, in, mm -hmm. in a big turnaround like that. But it was through that that I got really involved with the Center for Economic Growth. It was through that that I started meeting a lot of other CEOs. Yep. And when I got to the point where I was, you know, basically the business had been turned around, you know, I talked to Pat who was the majority owner and I was the minority owner. And I said, you know, I really wanna create something special myself. I, you know, he said, you really should do what you did with me with lots of other people. Right, exactly. And, um, and that's really that's, how that MPI was That was the genesis of MPI. And yep. I thought to myself, my wife thought I was crazy because I was, I had uh, two kids that were on the verge of, of starting college. Like, and she's saying, doing? what are you doing? Go be a CEO of another business yeah, and yeah. you know, right. keep it safe and right. secure. And I said, you know what? I've turned businesses around. I've worked in some other growth, uh, great growth businesses. I'd like to try to do, I, I think that this is something that, you know, I can, I'll have a passion for because I, you know, I can help a lot of other CEOs and executive teams. And that's how we built the business. Uh, well, but to, to your previous point though, about the, when you're, when you're the number one and, and that person, everyone wants to be there, not everyone, but you know, a lot of people want to get to that level, but they don't recognize that power comes with great responsibility. I feel like, you know, and then you get in that seat and you can no longer, like you said, look behind you and say, well, it's not my call. Yeah. Right, and that 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 is a, that. I imagine there's a learning curve to that. No matter how much experience yeah. you have, right? It's a big jump, and it's got to take a toll on you. Yeah, and it's it's not always about I got to make the call. One of the art, uh, what, I, what the great areas of art that I've learned about leadership and management is you've got to figure out when is the time that you want to make the call. When is the time that you want to mm -hmm. bring your executive team together and do something mm -hmm. that's maybe more consensus driven, mm -hmm. because it requires that you. It's going to take more than you to be able to drive. Right, like you. Right. So even though you decision. are that number one, it's you can't just do it by yourself. Yeah. So you've got to decide. When when, right. when do you make you know when do you make an autocratic call and when do you you know uh, other times that it's like no I need to involve right. a lot of people I got to get their yep. feedback I want to get their buy-in um, and I'm going to need it in this particular one and I think that that's something that comes with experience because I think all of us that move into that number one role we feel like right. oh we're, we're responsible yes. for it we've got yes. to make the decision it's up to us and you know and we got to make a fast decision yep. and that's the other big lesson that I learned is that no you don't always have to make fast decisions you have to make 
make, depending on the situation, if, if I'm getting ready to evaluate whether I sell my business or not, do I have to make a quick decision? No, I generally no, don't. Right. What I want to do is I want to make the right decision. Right. And that might re require that I've got to involve other people. It's going to take some time. I'm going to have to assess other alternatives. Okay, so so all of these people that always say, hey, uh, being a leader is about making fast decision-making. I'm saying it's about making yep. the right decision-making and identifying when you have to move fast versus when you have to move a little slower. And, and I think that that's a really important uh, lesson that I probably learned through turnarounds is that everyone thinks you have to just move fast because you're burning cash. Um, you know what, generally- There's an generally, element of moving swiftly, yeah. but it's correctly that is in it's the correctly. end. It's I'm, correctly. If I'm betting the ranch, I better take the time that right. it takes to decide right. whether that's a decent bet or not. If I have to make a decision about what t-shirt we're gonna wear at the corporate challenge, then I can probably make that pretty quickly. <laughs> so well, it's just, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, it really just depends. And I think, I think that's what we try to teach a lot of the leaders that we work with is that some of these things that maybe they've read or they've heard um, are not all of us, you know, are not just absolute. I think there's, there's situations that come into play. And that's where the judgment of a leader and ultimately the experience of a leader is, is what's reflected. You know, a mentor of mine back in the day once told me that if you have a bunch of smart people in the room and that's all they are, they're just a bunch of smart people in the room. Yeah. But if you're not willing to listen to them right. and actually listen to their opinion, whether you agree with it or not, right. and you don't take that in and weigh it, you got nothing. And it really doesn't necessarily mean that everybody in the room, whatever they say you're gonna do, but I think it matters both ways. It matters to the people in the room that they're in the room and they're given the ability. Tell me what you think. I'm genuinely interested and wanna know what's on you, how you feel about this. And that it's not just an exercise, yeah. but you really are listening to them because there's nothing worse than when I ask your opinion and I don't care what it is, because I'm just asking you to ask you, and no matter what you say, I'm gonna do this. Yeah. I feel like that as, as a leader, now I imagine there's some people that do that, but to me, like if you really wanna hear my opinion, I wanna know you're genuinely going to listen to it, right? Yeah. And not just be like, oh, it's just an exercise. Do you talk to leaders about that? Cause I have to Absolutely. Yeah. So, so one of the things that we talk to leaders a lot about is, you know, I'm a big believer in surveys and, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. an employee survey, customer survey, we use the net promoter score. Uh, we use the Gallup survey for, for employees is that, you know, you can ask people for feedback, but if you don't really want their opinion, they're gonna figure it out real fast. And your credibility as a leader is going to change mm -hmm. immediately. You're not gonna motivate people. People wanna be a part of something. They wanna feel like their voice is heard. Now it's okay that if I you, you, you give me your feedback on something, I say, hey, Chris, um, I hear what you're saying. Here's where where I disagree, and you talk through it, and, and, and ultimately make a decision right. that's contrary that's how, to that. Right. What what I I can confidently say is that you're going to feel like, well, at least my voice was heard. Number right. one, yes. I had a seat, I had at, a the seat table. at the table. I, right. had a, I tell people that all the time. You know, what's the great opportunity when you become part of an executive team? Well, the the great opportunity is you have a seat at the table. Yep. You have an ability to influence um, whoever the final decision maker is. Um, but what I tell leaders who, you know, the CEOs that are leading those groups of people is don't pull a bunch of people in a room, ask their opinion, and then really not really factor that in and not tell them why you made a decision to the contrary. Um, because immediately you will start to lose your executive team. Right, and why am I gonna wanna offer my opinion in the future? Yeah. Right? I'm not gonna wanna be, and I'm gonna be down on it. And yeah, yeah and that's where you- But I say the same thing with employee surveys is, and, or, or even customer surveys. If you're gonna take the time 
time, um, the valuable time of your customers and of your employees to ask their opinion, you better tell them what you're gonna do with it. You right. know, whether you agree with it, whether you're acting on it, whether you're not. Right. If they think it just goes into a black hole, eventually they're not going to want to waste their time Correct. to fill out that survey. Correct. The employees yeah, like are going to say, why does it uh, Chris is, you know, he's sending out his, you know, his, his typical like, survey exactly. that he does every year and right. never does anything right. about it. And honestly, that's demoralizing. That will be demotivating to your team. And so- Plus the data you're acquiring is useless at that point because it's yeah. not a true reflection really of what you really want to get yeah. out of it because they're just going to- I love using that as a big motivational tool. I heard what you guys said in that survey. These were the three most important points mm. that you made to me. And here's the two things we're gonna do about it. This other one I'm gonna table for a while because I just don't think we have the right. resources or whatever it's gonna yep. take. But you wanna talk about motivating people, that's how you motivate that's, that's people. True. That's is, great. Is let them feel like their voice wow, is heard. Wow, what you said really stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. Now, um, so in your career, you've come into businesses. They were established, yeah. and some were doing better than others, and so you you became you became this sort of fixer of this art. Now you got to start your own. Yep. Yeah. So you're not going into something that's established. Right. New set of challenges. Yeah. You know, I I wanted the challenge yeah. because I said, hey, I've worked on turnarounds, right. which I think is the ultimate challenge. And then a couple of people have told me, no, I, harder than than it's turning something up. around is starting something from scratch yeah. and you know trying to you know generate you know demand for your services yeah. and things of that nature. You know, I'm not sure which one is more difficult. I know it's that we've own set of difficulties. Yeah, we've we've spent. Uh, you know, here's here's the thing that's different is that I I think that when it comes to a startup, uh, it requires more of your visionary skills to be uh, be challenged. I think when it comes to a turnaround, it, it, it's more of you sort of ferreting out what is the wheat from the chaff and, and, and how do I, you know, ultimately, you know, sort of revamp mm. the business model. So it, it, a lot of it is, uh, you know, you rolling up your sleeves and sort of figuring out, do you have the right team? Do you have the right processes? How do we fix it? And then, and then recreate value for our, for our customers. Um, I think it's a little bit less on the visionary side. I think it's more on the, I have to lead and motivate people over here. It's, I've got to try to figure out whether we have something or we don't have something. And so I think it's a little bit different challenge, but I always love challenges. So I wanted a new challenge, right. you know, I've worked right. in growth businesses. I've, you know, Equifax certainly, you know, Chase was certainly growth businesses. Um, I've worked in, you know, um, three turn three big turnarounds. Um, and, you know, so now this was my opportunity to start something. And, uh, and, and I've loved it. I've loved every minute. I've kept it small intentionally um, because what we really did over the last seven years is we've been building content. And what I mean by content is we've been building the tools, the right. templates, yep. the processes, the yep. checklists, the things that will make the CEOs and executive teams that we work with much more efficient and effective quickly. And so the idea was to build as much content yep. as we could over the first build seven years yep, yep. and build the library. Now we're trying to take a lot of that online and create this manager's yep. marketplace. And then I think there's gonna be, okay, now how do we scale it? How do you scale it? that? Yep. How do we scale that? Yep. And, and that's really the next phase yep. in our development. And so so for me, it's been, you know, trying to figure that out, trying to keep a, a small elite team together that, you know, that believes in what we're doing, service a great group 
group of customers. I work with many of the best companies in our region. And then, like I said, we're, we're beyond here. But I learn from them every day. Mm -hmm. My job is never boring because every situation is different. Right. Every you leader have is different. Right, these new things coming in, yeah. Every business is different. Yep. Every leader is different. Yep. And so I never know when I walk in to work with one of my clients, what we're yeah. really gonna be working on that yeah. day. That is, in, it's, it's, that it's, is so, so exciting. It's so interesting because like, I've never worked at an agency before. I've always worked in 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 one thing at a time. And the thing that's the thing that some people dislike about an agency, which I really like, is that I work with so many different kinds of businesses, yeah. all different verticals, yeah. all different industries. Right. And it presents a new challenge all of the time. There's a, a, a very there's a core approach, but yeah. it's a very different set of challenges. Right. And it keeps it fresh. Right. There's never, you know, it's never like when you get into a corporate setting, sometimes it feels like sometimes the wheels are just spinning. How much? But now I so I love that. It keeps me sharp, it keeps me going. Uh, before before we close, I, I want to just just ask you this. I, I, I think you would agree, but I think that. No matter how successful a leader is, CEO or someone in a leadership position, there's always room to get better, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I feel like no matter what level you're at, whether you're still trying to climb or you got to the highest point, you could always get better. So do you, do you, do you, is that a tenant you believe in and do you push that? I mean, because I have to imagine that you're making, some people are making lots of money. They got all this big stuff. It doesn't mean that you're stuck. You should stop. And, and, you know, I feel like that happens a lot. So do you try to keep pushing people Absolutely. no matter what the level? Absolutely. So um, every year, um, you know, with any of my coaching clients, so I coach a number of CEOs um, and when I'm working with them, one of the biggest things that we try to focus on is what's next. You know, what, what is next for you? A combination of personal and professional. And part of the reason why you do it is when you do get to be successful, and I've seen this with other, you can get complacent. Yeah. And honestly, they can, you can get to a point where they're, I've actually seen it where they're unhappy. With all their success, they're unhappy. And it's because we all need some purpose. You we need, need some something fire, right? that yeah. we're gonna drive yeah. toward next. Yeah. Um, it could be something on the personal front. You know what? I've always had a good relationship with my daughter, you could say, and, and I have a great relationship with both my daughters. But, you know, it's like, no, this year, what I'm gonna do more than anything is I'm gonna focus on building even a stronger relationship mm -hmm. with my daughter or my brother. You know, I've known my brother right. for, for years. We're very close, but we've sort of drifted a little bit. I wanna do that. That could be on the personal personal side. On the professional side, it's like, you know what? I've always been really, really good at managing a good operation, but I haven't really grown my business like I've always wanted to. You know, I've never really been able to figure out how to create wealth for my, my, you know, my key employees. I really want to work on that this year. There's always things that you can work right. to take your business to the next right. level. There, there might even be a new segment that you wanted to, you know, there, there's a new um, customer segment that I want to serve that I've never been after before. And honestly, I'd like to do, you know, a lot more business. A couple of years ago, I started down that path because I'm thinking, thinking, you know what? I started out in private equity. Private equity has 50 or 60 companies in every one of their portfolios. Right. They all wanna grow them and they wanna grow them in a short period of time. What better you know, group could you go after right. if you're in my business? And so you know, I sort of looked at that and I said, that's a really interesting, compelling you know, place to go. And so we're trying to move uh, a bit in that direction. But, um, but my point is, you know, for me, I looked at it and said, hey, can't we change the game here you know, in terms of training? When I look at training, I grew up, you know, being trained just like everyone else. We have our foundational programs, but you know where people are going? They're going to personalization where the training program that you need is a different training program than I need. And how can you create that personalized experience? I'm all geeked up chasing that. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, I think that every business leader has to be thinking about, okay, how do I stay relevant? How do I continue to move my business toward relevance and prosperity? Um, because honestly, your people are counting on people, it. Yeah, they are. They're counting. You, you know, I, people are listening to this. I want them to, to just to be clear that we're talking about leaders, we're talking about CEOs, but your services are not just relegated to those guys no, at the very top. So you, you, I know you have products and services and uh, for those managers and people that are, are aspiring or wanting to be better leaders, right? Yeah. So just, just a little bit, talk a little about the breadth of that so people just don't, yeah, you know. That, that's a great point. I appreciate you bringing that up. Why I'm talking about CEOs and, and executive teams, our, our, our thought process originally was we've worked, we started out in leadership development and we had a lot of people that were training their people. And you know what their biggest complaint was? Their biggest complaint was, is there any way you can do this with our executive teams? Because we agree, we wanna <laughs> yeah, grow. Right. We want the business to move right. in this direction. We think this is good leadership, but they're not exhibiting good leadership. Right. And so what we've tried to do is we have all of our core programs that cater to all the way from people who are um, really new to the workforce. Uh, we call that our personal leadership program. And then we have people who are first time leaders or you know, managing their first team of people. We call that our team leadership program. And then we have our organizational leadership, which is really for, for executives. But we've been trying to squeeze in both directions and say, you know what, You're not, we're not gonna be successful at helping you move the needle in your organization by you just training your, um, you know, your, your various right. members of your team. It's like we you need a whole approach. We right? look at CEOs. We call it an ideal CEO. You're an ideal CEO for us if number one, you want to grow not just want to grow, but you're committed to growth. You have made decisions, you've made right. investments that are gonna really demonstrate that you want to grow. Number two, you don't think you have all the answers. And number three, you're committed to developing all of your team, including the executives, and really trying to take their game to the next level to your point you made earlier, which is we all need to be aspiring to Correct. be better. Correct. Your people are counting on you to be better, so you need to expect that of your executive team as well. And so we've tried to create a whole family of programs that really flow through the whole organization. I would argue strategy. A lot of people think strategy should be relegated to the executives. I think that's baloney. I honestly believe that, what about your high potentials that are out there? What about other people that are servicing the customers or close to the customers? You probably want them involved in the strategy process. They might not be involved in the final strategy, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, the final decisions related to strategy, but boy, their perspective is a lot closer to the client than maybe some of the people that are sitting mm -hmm. in the ivory tower. Mm -hmm. So make sure that you have the right people involved in strategy. Make sure that you really are building a culture um, that is going to make you sketch uh, you know, successful and it is scalable. Um, and a lot of that information comes from people a little deeper in the organization. So. Well, for, so for everybody listening, if you, if you can't tell by, by Sean's passion, I mean, I'm talking to him right now, I'm getting fired up. And I think that if, if you're listening out there at whatever stage you are in your career or in a business and you want to advance, you want to learn how to become a better leader, a better manager, you want to be able to grow, or if you're already at that higher level and you're, you're saying to yourself, man, I, I lost some of that fire. Um, you can reach out to to your team, MahoneyPerformanceInstitute.com, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and just I know there, there's there are phone numbers. There's a, a, a constant, you can fill out a form there, right? That, that's the best ways to to reach out to your team if they're if they're hearing this and they want to see what they can get out of it. Maybe yeah, either email us or there there are phone numbers there where they can they can reach out to us. Um, you know we. Uh, 
you know, we, we love to talk to people. So if you reach, uh, reach out to us, uh, we'll get back to you uh, right away. I think it's pretty informative. We've done a, a lot of work on our website mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of good uh, content there that'll give you a good sense for how we work with companies and, and what we provide. Um, but, you know, I think the best thing to do is reach out to us. Let's have a discussion and see if we can help. Sean Mahoney, MahoneyPerformanceInstitute.com. Thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Thank Chris. You.